Whether it's hanging half a hundred on a meadow and field, or the run rules on the diamond and gloves field, we're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. With Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. Tyler, I like the hat tip there uh, during your name introduction there for those of you watching us on YouTube and now X or Twitter as I will continue to call it. But uh, thank you everyone for joining us this evening for this episode of the Mainline. We are a Red Dirt Media show. Tyler, we've got a lot to cover today. We've got Transfer Portal. We'll be talking about guys both uh, already committed to OU as well as maybe some names that could be coming to Norman soon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we'll talk some basketball as uh, the Big 12 swing of conference games has started. OU gets off to a pretty hot start there. Yeah, absolutely. It's always uh, kind of a sad and gloomy day, uh, the day after the first season of officially the uh, college football offseason, ultimately with the regular season and postseason coming into an end last night. Michigan knocks off wishing uh, Washington to win the national championship. And, you know, Adam, long ago were the days where once the offseason got into effect, once the national championship was over, there was a little bit of downtime uh, going into spring football. But now with the transfer portal being what it is, recruiting being what it is, NIL being such a huge focal point, uh, being part of it, uh, there's really no such thing as offseason in the world of college football. So we're going to touch on things uh, with regards to OU. There are some uh, some different updates within the portal, some different guys that Oklahoma is kind of feels like they're on the edge of the doorstep here. They're trying to get over the finish line, trying to lock up a couple of these guys. We'll see ultimately if they can get it done. And uh, you know, Adam, uh, it's basketball season. Um, this is a top 10 basketball team inside the Lloyd Noble Center that Porter Mosier's got cooking right now. And boy, do they have a couple of really tough road games coming up this weekend, starting tomorrow night in Fort Worth. So we're going to touch on that as well. Uh, but yeah, man, it's freezing cold up here in Denver right now. Wind chill this morning was negative two. That's why I got a couple of layers on right now. It's it's freezing cold, but things are good, man. Excited to talk some pot, uh, some some football, some OU basketball. And again, welcome everybody to tonight's show. Absolutely. I was telling my buddy over at church the other day that this time of year feels like you're getting a half serving of football. The NFL, the playoffs, they're interesting. They're fun. We all like the Super Bowl, but it's not college football. So uh, it just can't fully satisfy the the hunger that I have. So let's hope these next eight months go really fast. And, and some of the uh, things you alluded to there on the portal uh, really help keep our attention around OU football this time of year, which is, is always fun. And we'll be talking baseball and softball here in just a couple of weeks. We've got some things up our sleeves there. Tyler, I don't know if I've told you this yet, but the uh, the hype video for softball, it is complete. It's taking everything I have in me not to just release that right now, throw it on the live stream, <laughs> or put it somewhere on Twitter or wherever to, uh, to show off, because I think it is our best work uh, that we've ever done from a hype video perspective. So uh, I'm pumped to show that, um, and hopefully we'll have a little bit of a softball preview uh, look ahead here in the coming weeks that we'll release that on, so stay tuned for that. Let's talk Portal, though, around OU football here. And let's start with kind of the name that everyone's talking about right now, uh, Zaylance Hurd or Lance Hurd, as, as a lot of people will mention him, the former five-star recruit uh, that went to LSU, kind of fell behind some other guys that were really talented on the offensive line, finds himself in the portal, heads to Tennessee, makes it out of Knoxville without committing to the Vols, and then shows up in Norman over the weekend, spends a lot of time at OU, seems like things went well, still no commitment as it stands that we do this live show on Tuesday evening, though. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the scary thing. The further that you get removed from that visit that Lance Hurd had in Norman, spending a couple of days with Bill Beanbow uh, over the weekend. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely the the crown jewel as you labeled it in the itinerary. Adam, six foot five, three hundred pound left tackle out of LSU. He was a top fifteen player in the class of two thousand twenty three. You know, one of the crown jewels of this cycle's portal class, and this is a massive recruitment for Oklahoma going into two thousand twenty four. You lose your starting tackles in Walter Rouse and Tyler Guyton, both to the NFL. I know Spencer Brown has a lot of potential coming over from East Lansing. Jacob Sexton, uh, you know, came on strong towards the back half of this of the year. And if you're Seth Luttrell going into next season with Jackson Arnold, you know, having a firm grasp of that starting, you know, QB one position in Norman, protecting Jackson's blind side is by far and away a top priority uh, for this football team going into next season. And from everything that we've heard, Bill Beanbow has done everything. He has thrown everything but the kitchen sink into this recruitment, trying to land Lance Hurd. Um, they're playing the NIL, the NIL game. They're preaching the opportunity to come in and start day one. They're selling Bill's track record um, with developing guys, not just into draft picks, Adam, but starters in the NFL that go on to have long, successful, wealthy careers. Uh, and I know that they're competing with other programs like the you know, the likes of Tennessee or an Ole Miss um, who's coming into the fold, who that's a program that, you know, when you talk about the impact that the transfer portal could have on your roster and flipping it from one season to the next, you know, Texas A&M has been one that's been heavily involved, but, you know, Ole Miss is one with what they're doing the last, you know, month or so in the transfer portal. Some of the guys that they brought in on both sides of the football, you know, this is just another one where is Oklahoma, yes, they are playing the NIL game, but is it essentially going to be, you know, we're, you know, we're getting left at the altar uh, once again, just because we simply, you know, priorities might be different than developments. Maybe some guys are prioritizing, you know, collecting a bag a little bit more so than actually playing football. That remains to be seen. We're not going to label that uh, for, for this kid or anybody else. We're, we're but, not far off, though, from like this kind of turning into a little bit of a meme recruitment because the transfer portal everything cycles a little bit faster in the terms of like visits and what they're asking for in those NIL conversations. It, it's, it's almost there for me in the sense that like he hasn't made a decision between Tennessee or OU and, and maybe there is a visit upcoming to Ole Miss. And this is a guy that is a former five-star. So there probably is an element of a guy that says, Hey, I deserve, you know, the five-star treatment, which, you know, maybe he's worth it. Well, Adam, in today's day and age of college football with recruiting kind of taking the turn that it is right now with NIL, with, you know, getting paid being such a huge part of it. I, I don't think that any of us can really sit here and honestly say that we wouldn't at least entertain the thought. I mean, especially some of these kids that are, you know, anywhere from 17 to 20, 21, 22 years old that are having, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars thrown their way. So, I mean, if you're a kid, you know, you know, with, with a family or a potential family one day, why wouldn't you at least field some of those offers? But um, that just kind of goes back to, you know, Oklahoma building the program that they are right now, the the trajectory, what Brent Venables likes to, you know, base his football program on from a culture standpoint, uh, a foundation standpoint, being a program based off, you know, relationships and not being transactional 100% of the time. It kind of feels like, yes, that does resonate. And that's what, you know, allows guys like Billy Bowman and Danny Stutchman, uh, Dejon Terry, you know, to, to come back because they love what's being, you know, done day in and day out inside the Switzer Center in Oklahoma. But how does that play in today's era of recruiting with NIL being such a huge part of the game? Um, so again, it remains to be seen, but make no mistake about it. The further that this gets away from Lance Hurt's time in Norman, you almost kind of have to wonder, okay, is he pretty much, does he have his mind made up or is he, 
you know, is he going to maybe take one more visit to Oxford, you know, here over the next couple of days, or is he basically, you know, he knows that he's, you know, one of the best players in the portal right now. Left tackle is one of the, you know, pr uh, premium positions uh, on your football team. And he knows that a lot of, a lot of schools are going to be vying for his services. So why wouldn't you wait a little bit longer to see if maybe another, another offer comes in, or maybe you can up the ante a little bit on how much money you could possibly collect. I don't know. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes and we'll see how this thing plays out. We just hope that it's in Oklahoma's favor. If you can get him, that would be a really solid trio of options there at the tackle position between Jacob Sexton, Spencer Brown, the Michigan State transfer, and then Lance Hurd, the LSU former five-star. So some interesting options there, and not to mention a guy like Logan Howland, maybe, who develops mm -hmm. over the offseason and maybe uh, starts to you know, compete for, for one of those roles there. On the interior You've got uh, Terrence Ferguson, who recently visited from Alabama, uh, formerly a four-star recruit, a top 100 recruit that was at Alabama for a few, season, a few seasons, played a little bit, didn't really start a ton, um, but was certainly a piece that they had there. So another former top recruit there that potentially could add more depth into that interior line, uh, along with some of the guys that OU's already gotten in, Fabici, Nwewu, uh, the North Texas, uh, former second-team All-American, uh, freshman All-American, I should mention, yeah. out, of, uh, out of Denton there. So you, you're building some depth there, and potentially you could add Terrence Ferguson to that group as well. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for, for Oklahoma fans that have watched SEC sec football for the better part of the last decade and you know any any college football fan that has watched uh you, you know the playoffs over the last couple of weeks if they watched the national championship last night they saw michigan's dominance on both the offense and defensive line you know along the line of scrimmage you know make no mistake about it you can have the five-star quarterbacks you can have the flashy wide receivers you can have all the playmakers at your disposal but at the end of the day football's football and, you know, the team that's more physical, the team that can, you know, win at the point of attack, that can control the line of scrimmage, nine times out of ten, that's the team that's going to have the advantage and basically the upper hand to win these football games. And that's the type of uh, that's the type of roster, that's the brand of football that Oklahoma needs to, you know, continue to rise to, continue to elevate to that standard uh, that we're seeing, you know, with some of the elite teams like Michigan and Alabama and Georgia and even Texas this, this year as well. Uh, and what was their best team, you know, probably within the last 15 years. They still, you know, couldn't win a college football playoff game. They couldn't beat Washington with their best team in 15 years. So, uh, but make no mistake about it, you always want to be able to bring in more depth within the line of scrimmage, particularly on the interior. Um, so if you're able to bring in a guy like Terrence Ferguson to go along with what we've already got in the boat uh, from this transfer portal class and some of the guys that have been on campus now for, you know, multiple seasons right now, you can never have too much talent. You can never have too much depth and you just hope that you know bill beanball along with jerry schmidt over the course of the next eight months they can you know they can continue to get these guys to play at a higher level continue to develop them you know both mentally but also physically putting on some strength and size uh because with where oklahoma is going you got to be able to hold up over a 15 game season hopefully longer than that with the 12 team playoff coming into effect uh for oklahoma to get back to you know what we've grown accustomed to uh, being an Oklahoma fan and seeing this program do for the better part of a century, and that's winning and competing for championships. 
On the other side of the ball, you mentioned line play being so important. We saw Michigan really develop a ton of guys that were able to rush the passer. They they gave Jalen Milrow all sorts of problems. They gave Michael Penix a lot of problems that he hadn't experienced throughout the year, and mm-hmm. that turned out to be a big difference maker last night in the national championship game. So yeah. let's talk about Caden Woolard, a guy that comes from Miami of Ohio, from the Red Hawks, a guy that had, I think, nine and a half sacks this past season. Miami, a very good defense, a very, very solid defense in the MAC there. Um, so they, they play a high brand of, of football there. Now he goes up a level to Oklahoma. We've seen we've seen mixed results from guys going from G5 to Power 5. Sometimes they're not ready for it. Um, sometimes it's Jared Verse. And like the dude was always ready for it, just maybe was overlooked in recruiting or developed later or any number of reasons. But then they get to that big boy school and they're just as good there and make an even bigger impact. What I mean, what's your forecast for a guy like Caden Woolard, though? Do you see him playing? Like, what type of role do you see him playing? You look at this kid's stat line, what he did over the course of his career at Miami of Ohio, and, you know, you just look at the most recent example, 2023. He had nine and a half sacks for the Red Hawks this year. My expectations are pretty medium right now with this kid. Obviously, you go from the MAC to the SEC. He's got a huge adjustment coming uh, in playing against that level of competition, but I think if Caden can come in, and again, right now he's listed about six foot five, two hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty-five pounds. Um, I think if Caden can come in, give us the same or maybe even surpass the level uh, of production that we got from a guy like Rondell Bothroyd, who was kind of a one-year rental from Wake Forest. He declared for the NFL draft, uh, you know, within the last 24 hours, then I think that this could be a win-win for for Oklahoma and this kid. He's got some work to do this offseason, obviously getting stronger. They're probably going to want him to uh, put on a few more pounds, maybe five to 10 more pounds, continue to get stronger. Learning Brent's defense is going to take some time to do, but Miguel Chavis was thrilled to get this guy out of the transfer portal, and I think that they see a tremendous upside in Caden, um, and we'll see what he can do in the Crimson and Cream uh, as this thing kicks off here in less than 300 days. I think at the very least, like he's someone there that potentially could be a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger than some of the younger defensive ends in that room and maybe could help elevate their play or or at, at worst be a mentor of saying like, Hey, here's how I've been this successful so far in college. And mm-hmm. here's how you can follow those footsteps. Now uh, we hope for the best for Caden and we, we want him to be able to say, Hey, here's my role. I'm going to come in and maybe take someone's job or, um, you know, just have a great year and propel himself into an NFL career because that would be pretty awesome and, and really help this defense. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, Adam, I mean, let's be a realistic, let's look at what Oklahoma currently has you know, in that, you know, defensive end room with Miguel Chavis. I mean, you're talking about guys like R. Mason Thomas, who's going to be a veteran going into his third season in Oklahoma, P.J. Adebaware, Ethan Downs coming back for another year. I mean, this guy, he, I mean, we know that, you know, he's going to come in. He's going to work with Danny Okoye. He's going to come in. He's going to bust his at Nigel Smith, another one as well. You know, this guy's going to come in, and you you ultimately think that your, your best hope when you bring in guys from the transfer portal, they're guys that are going to be able to come in and at least find their way onto the field. They can be guys that can come in and make an impact. They may not be starters, but they can find their way into the rotation. They can get, you know, 10, 15, 20 snaps a game. And I think, Adam, you know, taking a step back and looking at this roster, particularly that position group, if Oklahoma takes that next step at the defensive end position going into 2024, where you've got PJ, you've got Ethan Downs, you've got RMT. I hate to say it, but if those guys play up to the level that we expect them to, I don't know if you're going to be able to see Caden Woolard be able to have that type of production. But 
at, on the flip side of it, I think that that means that's great news for Oklahoma because it means that those guys that are already on campus, it means that they've taken that next step. They're playing, uh, playing up to that level that they were, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons why they were so highly sought after, uh, you know, coming into this program. I agree with you on, on all counts there. I, I want to look at that room and go, yeah, he's not going to play over Okoye because he's a beast. He's not going to play over PJ Adebowari because that guy's a beast. And Ethan Downs is a solid player. I'd like to be able to agree with you and say, like, yeah, I think that that's for sure. Like, we've got dudes in our room um, that have been homegrown, recruited, and so forth. And um, it may be tough for them. But at the same time, I look at the I look at the past success here. Uh, Ethan Downs led the team in sacks last year, not just for defensive ends, but for all positions at four and a half. Caden Woolard more than doubled that uh, with his time yeah. at Miami this past season. So there's there's definitely room. Like no one's really seized. Hey, this is this is my starting role, and no one else can take that. It's it's very much up for grabs. So mm-hmm. I'd like to think that hey, there's some young guys in that room that really blossom in the spring and summer and become you know all American type candidates. We talked about this a lot last week with PJ mm-hmm. of how. You know, we probably had some unfair expectations for him in year one, and we think maybe he could take that bigger leap in year two as he becomes more accustomed just to playing the sport of football, and especially at the college level. But there's obviously there's there's room in along that entire defensive line for someone mm-hmm. to come in and, and seize an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, look no further than David Stone and Jane Jackson, a couple of guys that are yeah. going to come in as true freshmen, class of 2024, and I think that they're going to have every chance possible uh, to come to come in and compete for some of those you know snaps that we'll see this upcoming fall. But um, Adam, let's, let's transition over to the other side of the football in here. Let's talk some tight end. Obviously, Oklahoma got the commitment yesterday from uh, the Baylor transfer, Oklahoma native Jake Roberts. Uh, he's going to be coming to Oklahoma. What's going to be his third school? Uh, over the course of his collegiate career, Adam, what do we think about this uh, this pickup, and what are some of your early impressions on uh, of who we could see lead the tight end room going into 2024? I think it's really tough to project that because Jake Roberts was a guy on a very bad team in Baylor, had inconsistent quarterback play. You were swapping between between Blake Shapen and the backup because of injuries throughout the season, so it's really hard to measure. I think his impact for the Bears. I think he kind of came on late in the season, and, and there was a lot of consistency where he was doing over thirty yards a game, which is respectable from the tight end position. So I think he's a steadying presence. He's someone that Seth Luttrell is obviously very familiar with because he he transferred from North Texas to Baylor. Now he's reuniting with Seth Luttrell in Norman. Obviously, his brother's a big, probably the best tight end in the 2025 class, playing just down the road at Washington. I don't think there's a scenario where the brothers could play together on OU, but obviously, like, he's probably going to be at all the OU games that he's, you know, can get to outside of his official visits now because his brother's playing on Owen Field. So, um, obviously, a win from that recruiting perspective alone of uh, building more relationship there and and everything. So, um, Jake Roberts, interesting piece there. You've also got uh, uh, Blake Bauer, the transfer out of Southeast Louisiana. I, I affectionately call them the Mud Dogs. Uh, they're not actually the Mud Dogs, but um, I'm pretty sure he played with the Water Boy anyway. But um, Bauer is kind of an interesting prospect there, and in that like I, I don't really know like what are we gonna get. I feel like it's either gonna be really good because he's a freaky athlete that's just like figuring out how to play tight end. Or we see that go the opposite way too, of like, oh, he's going yeah. up a level. Oh, he's not used to playing tight end. Oh, he's He's just an athlete, you know, which is good. So, like, I feel like we have a wide range of, of possibilities there. And then you throw in Davin Mitchell, who, true freshman, highly ranked. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've talked about the freshman on the show before, mm-hmm. so we'll see. 
Well, I mean, you've definitely, there's a lot of variation and you've got a lot of choices, a lot, a few different skill sets that Joe John Finley and Seth the trailer are going to have the opportunity to kind of, to kind of tweak and, and play around with a little bit. Obviously in Jake Roberts, you're getting a veteran. You've got a guy that's played, you know, multiple years at the power five level, played with Seth, Luttre- played for Seth Luttrell uh, back at North Texas, uh, you know, just a few years ago. He's a guy that comes in and yes, it does further strengthen that bond between Oklahoma and the Roberts family with the, the younger brother coming in 2025. You would, you know, that, you would have to think that that does nothing but help Oklahoma's chances and being able to land Nate, you know, uh, next, uh, next recruiting cycle. But, you know, Jake's a guy that can come in big, you know, big size, you know, is probably uh, not as polished as a, uh, as a pass catcher and as a route runner, like what we're going to see from Bauer Sharp and Davin Mitchell. But he's a guy that's not afraid to get his nose bloodied up a little bit, get lined up there on the line of scrimmage, do the dirty work. Uh, I think he's going to be pivotal, um, you know, this upcoming season for Oklahoma. And he's a good quality depth piece as well uh, for for Jackson Arnold to have at his disposal. Bauer Sharp is another guy, like you said, probably, I'm not going to say probably, he is the most athletic tight end that since we had Braden Willis a couple of years ago. Uh, Really good with the ball in his hands, making plays after the catch. He's a guy that you can line up probably primarily outside of the line of scrimmage. He can do some things with his hand in the dirt, but he's a guy that you're going to see Oklahoma maybe get back to the tight end position, doing some of the things like we saw with Mark Andrews, with Jermaine Gresham, with Grant Calcaterra, uh, being guys that you can line up, you know, just outside the hash and, you know, be able to make some plays, create some mismatches, whether it's a linebacker or a safety. So curious to see what uh, what they're going to do with Bauer. And then, you know, Davin Mitchell, I, I don't think that – I think that of all the kids outside of maybe David Stone, I think that Devon Mitchell has an opportunity to be the true freshman that's part of this class that can have the biggest impact on Oklahoma's football season next year. You look at the size, you look at the measurables, you look at some of the video guys like Parker Thune, you know, put out from from a week ago when he was out there competing in Florida uh, at the uh, at the All American type camp. And you know, this is a guy that's going to come in. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna have to transform his body just a little bit. Jerry Schmidt will get that <laughs> will get that fixed within the first couple of months. I promise you that. But he's got all the tools that. That you want he's a you know he's a five tool player if you want to use a baseball me- metaphor there uh he i think that he has all the physical tools in the world to be able to come in and be that next you know next guy in what is a long lineage of you know oklahoma greats at the tight end position so again three really really solid pieces to go along with what's already in that room uh in oklahoma um so again uh i think that where we sit right now January 9, 2024, compared to where we were a month ago, I think Oklahoma's tight end position room looks a lot better than it did uh, just four weeks ago. I meant Bauer Sharp, not Blake Bauer. So thank you on on catching that there. I don't know where Blake I got Bauer. Blake Bauer from. I guess there's just so many Blakes uh, in the tight end room or who knows what. Yeah, but well, Brock, Brock Bauer's too. Brock, who knows? Brock, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's probably what it was actually. Looking at the, uh, the list of transfers that OU has so far, I think there's... I want to say there's 11 of them at this point. Uh, there was 18 total last year. And I think OU's probably fairly close to wrapping up the numbers there. So we talked about Lance Hurd. I think obviously, like if, if OU gets him, the job's not his automatically, but he has the potential there to, to maybe have the biggest impact out of any of these transfers. Uh, we, yeah. we said, hey, that could be the crown jewel of, of a transfer class if he does indeed commit to OU. No We've doubt. Talked to no me. doubt. We've, I won't steal the the next name here. I'll let you give this one if you want to. But who off the list of transfers right now do you think has the biggest impact? 
transfers that we already have in the boat that have committed to Oklahoma yeah. and are going to be on yeah. campus here pretty soon. Well, I think that the 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 two big ones that stand out for me, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from the line of scrimmage here. Obviously, if Lance Hurd decides to bring his talent to Norman, Oklahoma, that's that's the clear cut number one on this list. Make no mistake about it. That's your starting left tackle going into next year, and then Spencer Brown and Jacob Sexton are probably going to be battling it out over the course of spring football and well into fall camp to you know lock up that right tackle position. But for me, the two guys that I think have an opportunity to play the biggest role, number one, obviously, I think it's it's uh, Dion Burks, the transfer wide receiver out of, out of Purdue. You look at this kid's tape his skill set, what he can do with his speed, his agility, his elusiveness. Uh, that's just another weapon. That's just another feather in the cap of Jackson Arnold. He's going to have a lot of fun, um, you know, playing with, with, you know, with his new toy uh, that, that's going to be part of this Oklahoma offense next year. And then you want to flip it over to the other side of the football. I probably had this, this kid a little bit higher than I did before Woody Washington announced his decision to come back for another season in Oklahoma. But I'm going to go with the Des Malone kid at the corner, uh, at the cornerback position. Transfer out of San Diego State. He's, you know, he's got the, he's got the, um, the prototypical SEC corner uh, type frame, you know, six foot two, 200 plus pounds, can run like a deer, uh, and is not afraid to get up and, you know, challenge you at the line of scrimmage, you know, with his level of physicality. So I'm going to go Deion Burks, a wide receiver. Des Malone, I think, will have an opportunity to find his way possibly being that third corner um you know the first corner off the bench uh in the rotation next year so give me uh give me db and give me des malone des malone all i guess honorable mention all mountain west conference there so mm -hmm. a nice piece out of a program that does have a defensive identity uh there in san diego sure. so yeah uh could certainly see that i think i think there's they're certainly building a lot of depth across several different positions with this transfer class and the new guys that are coming in. So um, I, I like what I'm seeing there. Now we are, we talked about, hey, 18 transfers a year ago. We're sitting right there around that 11 number right now. It seems like we could probably add maybe one or two more guys along the offensive line. Outside of that, quarterback maybe. There's been some talk, some chatter out there on Twitter about Casey Thompson. I think me personally, I would love to see that. But um it sounds like kind of this is kind of the number. Maybe we'll get up to like 14, 15. So it'll be a little bit less than last year. Do you think that's maybe a sign of better overall roster health going into year three of Brent Venables? I think it's probably a better than 50 50 chance that there's another quarterback joining the fold uh, that's going to be part of that room going into next season. And when you talk about the low number of commits, you know, this cycle compared to the, the transfer portal, uh, what it brought to Oklahoma a year ago in, in 18. Uh, yeah, I think that that does, you know, uh, I think that does speak to the level of confidence that the coaches have in what that the coaches have in what they currently have in the building inside the Switzer Center. You talk about some guys that are, you know, that made the decision to come back and play one final year at Oklahoma, the Stutzmans, the Bowmans, the Terrys of the world. Um, and also combine that with the fact that, you know, Brent Venables is coming off what's his third, you know, top eight recruiting class and you know that we talked about it adam see um, on last week's podcast you know a, another top 10 class you know that's nothing new at a place like oklahoma you know bob did it you know pretty much every single year over his tenure at oklahoma lincoln riley did it but lincoln did it in a different way whereas you know most of the the high ranking recruits that made up that top 10 class that came from the quarterback and the wide receiver position whereas now with what brent and this coaching staff uh, is doing they're spreading the talent out across all 22 positions on the football field so you're starting to see a more balanced more well-rounded recruiting class 
uh, that Oklahoma continues to do. And, you know, make no mistake about it, 2025 looks like it's going to be on a similar trajectory. But um, they've definitely got a lot of confidence in what they've got coming back. But I think that the 2024 class is going to be even more impactful than a lot of people really think that it is. Um, And I, I do, Adam. I think that there will be three, maybe upwards of five to six guys that could see their way onto the field next year. They're going to be coming in from the 2024 class. Now I'm not saying they're going to be starters or anything like that, but again, some of these guys at key positions of need for Oklahoma that yes, we've already got some good players at those positions, but you know, the, the best, the best problem that you can have as a coach is you continue to recruit guys that have a much higher ceiling than what you currently have on, on, uh, on your roster. And, you know, make no mistake about it. They're doing that at some of these positions on the, on the, uh, on the, on their football team. So yeah, um, they're very confident what they've got inside the Switzer center, but they're also very confident and very excited about what this 2024 class is going to bring to the table. We've we'll probably be a big talking point that we'll maybe get tired of throughout the season. I guess, you know what? We probably won't get tired of this throughout the off season. Nine, 10 starters coming back on defense, depending on how you view certain positions there. But really, I think you look at the, the 2024 class plus the transfer portal commits coming in outside of the offensive line. All those guys are going to be battling to unseat someone who's maybe an incumbent there. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you look at that and go, OK, we don't have to rely on like PJ and Peyton to be big names like we did last year. Um, Mm -hmm. we don't have to hope for, Hey, this, this portal player needs to be a hit. We have somebody that's at least somewhat proven in most positions across the, uh, across the roster there. So if they do unseat someone, that's probably a great thing. It means we nailed it. Mm -hmm. We got, we got a star either in high school or coming out of the portal there. Well, Adam, I mean, let's take a step back here because who would have thought two years ago, we would actually be having this conversation Just look at Oklahoma on the defensive side of the football, starting with the safety group, Peyton Bowen, Billy Bowman, RSJ. You go over to corner, Gentry, Woody, McCarty Vickers, Des Malone. And then at the linebacker position, Stutz coming back for another year. Kip Lewis. It's so stacked. It's so stacked. There's that quality competitive depth that we're seeing, you know, not just at one position on defense, but you're seeing it across the board at all three levels of the defense. And that's not something that we've, you know, grown. That's not something that we've seen in Oklahoma since what maybe the you know 2012 20 2014 era i guess you could probably make that claim in 2015 where you had you know charles tapper you uh you had striker you had zach sanchez you know you had a star at all three levels of that defense well now there's guys adam that have the opportunity not to be just playmakers but have an opportunity to grow into you know solid productive football players that can be impact guys rather than just guys out there fielding you know one of 11 spots on defense so Again, I'm I'm really excited about the 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 makeup of this team. And Adam, I want to circle this back here. We'll put a bow on it. The offensive line going into next season that is the biggest question mark about this football team. Make no mistake about it. Call a spade what it is. Call a spade a spade. But if Oklahoma can go out there, you land the commitment from a Lance Hurd, then I'm sorry, but that's that is a position group. That has the opportunity to be the biggest impact on a position group, I think, on this entire football team. Because if you can bring in a guy like Lance Hurd, then I think that with what is currently in Norman, with a couple of the other guys that are coming in from the portal, Bill Beanball, you got to give the man credit where credit's due. He will find a way, whether it's super glue, duct tape, spit, gum, he will figure out a way to put five really good guys out there uh, and play, you know, good, successful football. But 
make no mistake about it. Lance Hurd, that is the straw that kind of stirs the drink right now when you try to project how good this offensive line could potentially be going into next season. If you land him, great then that changes, I think, expectations a little bit for this Oklahoma football team going into next year. If not, then we're just going to kind of hold our breath and uh, see see how the first three to four weeks of the season looks like. And we're going to have all offseason to talk about. It. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun times. Hopefully they get this kid. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. On the interior of the offensive line, I think there's plenty of options. So, like, if one guy doesn't work, you have a, a different choice there. At tackle, I feel like right now we have two options. And, and we're still wondering if like how good Spencer Brown, he started a lot of games at Michigan State. So he's got tons yeah. of experience. Is he good enough to play at OU though? And so when you add Zaylen's Hurd into that equation, one, he's pushing, you know, Spencer Brown, he's pushing Jacob Sexton to get better. Mm-hmm. So if one of those three guys, A, gets hurt or B, just you doesn't develop or isn't OU good enough, like you have options there. And depth yeah. becomes so much more important when you talk about the way the playoff is going to be, where not only do you have to, play and win two games you got to win three games four games to win a national Mm -hmm. championship and that's what we aspire to do uh, here at oklahoma is is win national championships so building up Mm -hmm. that depth continually across the board across all positions Mm -hmm. yeah and in the comment section you know james making a couple of really good points he said i think we played 11 true freshmen each of the last two seasons that goes back to you know the evaluations uh with brent venables and you know finding guys raising the level of talent with some of these high school kids coming into the program and he says safety is so sacked. Key Lawrence left the program for Ole Miss. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> I think that kind of says it all. Time to talk basketball, right? Because we we didn't spend a whole lot of time last week, and they really deserve their due. So I think it's time to chat a little bit about how Oklahoma is is faring in Big Twelve play uh, as they get things kicked off with a win over the Cyclones of Iowa State. We've got the highlights running for those watching on uh, Twitter and YouTube in the background here. But Tyler, what's your initial impressions as uh, OU? I always want to say kicks off <laughs> Big 12 play, but in basketball, I guess they tip off Big 12 play. Mm-hmm. It's just the level of athleticism w- within this basketball team. You know, five to, I guess they play about an eight-man rotation. It's just the level of athleticism that this basketball team, with what Porter Mosier, we just talked about Brent Venables transforming this roster uh, the same can be said for what Porter's done down at the LNC. This basketball team is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. They're athletic. They get out on the perimeter. Uh, they make plays, you know, in transition, fast break. And, you know, Adam, I keep talking about it every single episode. On nights where this team is able to shoot probably 35 to 40% from beyond the arc, this this team can play with anybody in America. We talked about the game in the group chat against Iowa State. That's a game, Adam, that a year ago or maybe the last two seasons – Oklahoma finds a way to lose that game. You know, if, you know, competitive, you know, one to two possession game within the last, you know, four to five minutes. Oklahoma lost those games time and time again in the Big 12. And like I said, maybe they've turned the corner. Maybe this is just, you know, kind of fool's gold within game one. Uh, but they found a way to knock off Iowa State, defend home court. The LNC atmosphere was, you know, not, it, you couldn't have asked for a much better of an atmosphere, especially with the students still out on vacation, uh, not coming back yet from the Christmas break. Um, and you know, Adam, that Iowa win, that Iowa State win in the LNC on Saturday, that looks a whole lot better uh, when you look at what just happened a few moments ago with uh, Iowa State in Ames knocking off the number two Cougars of Houston uh, t- tonight. So again, really impressive win at the LNC, and now you're ranked number nine in the country. You're 13 and one going into what's going to be your first, I think, your first true road game. And you've got a couple really tough ones back-to-back here this week, starting tomorrow night, 8 p.m. tip-off in Fort Worth against TCU, a team that, 
you know, took Kansas all the way down to the wire, lost by two points uh, in uh, inside the fog on Saturday. And, you know, due to another late game beneficial call in favor of the Jayhawks. <laughs> got to be, got to beat what? Uh, is there three refs? So you got to beat eight players yeah, on the other team. Yeah. You got, you got to beat eight players on the other team. It's amazing how that happens time and time again, teams going to Lawrence and they always seem to figure out a way uh, to close it out at the very end, but make no mistake about it. I think that this is the week where if Oklahoma can figure out a way to get a split, if you can go one and one in four, that would Wars, be amazing. That would be amazing. You're two and one coming back home. Uh, get some. You've got some good momentum, but you've also got some good confidence. Nobody expects this team to go into Lawrence on Saturday and knock off Kansas. The Oklahoma hasn't won in Lawrence since what? Have we've been alive? I mean, not since I've been alive. I'm buddy's 30. teams <laughs> didn't do it. Trey didn't do it. So nobody expects you know much of this Oklahoma basketball team going to Lawrence on Saturday. But if you can go one and one, you know, split this this two game series this week then I think that you're in a really good position coming back home to, uh, for the you know the way that the rest of this Big 12 schedule forecasts for Oklahoma. Uh, but it's going to be tough, Adam. The, the Big 12, it's the toughest basketball league in America. We say it year in and year out. Six teams currently in the top 25, three in the top 10, one of which is Oklahoma. Uh, it's here, man. The meat, of this, the meat and potatoes of the schedule is here. Let's get it going. Yeah, I, I like the way that this team it, – it was not at all like a clean or perfect game. It was a little bit ugly to watch against Iowa State, and that's kind of the nature of Big 12 play getting um, you know, a little bit tougher. Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be better scouting reports because a guy like you know J.B. McCollum, there's half a season of data and, and tape on him at this point. So how teams are going to try to defend and shut him down and shut other guys down mm-hmm. on this team. So I think you, know, you really like what you see of what they did this past Saturday of – saying, hey, things weren't always going perfectly, but they led throughout most of the game. And then when crunch time came into play, they they pulled away from that Cyclones team who just got a, a really solid win, like you mentioned there. I think Purple mm-hmm. Orca in the chat, shout out to to them for pointing out that uh, Houston uh, was, was the win that they took them down just recently. So mm-hmm. as far as this team is constructed, you know, I, I definitely want to see them continue to evolve and continue to get stronger as Big 12 play goes on. I know a lot of people will probably listen to this podcast or watch this YouTube video later on after that TCU game has already taken place. If OU loses that game, yeah, ideally you would like that one-on-one split like you talked about. But if they don't win that game, that's fine. You kind of expect to lose some on the road in the Big 12 play, but you got to pick off some teams when you can. Mm-hmm. TCU is a team that is very good. They're going to be challenging for OU. Fort Worth is not always the toughest place to, to play though. Lincoln right. the dog making an appearance on the on the show again. Um, Amazon, Amazon driver. Amazon always going late. But the, I mean, this is an opportunity for you. Students not in town in Fort Worth. School hasn't started up. So here's your opportunity to go pick off a TCU team that maybe felt like they should have won in Lawrence, and maybe they're thinking about that mm-hmm. game too much. So I kind of think though one player I'm keeping my eye on over the next couple of games is Jalen Moore. He plays the four for OU. He only had 17 minutes, got in foul trouble against Iowa State. But he's a guy that can defend any position on the floor, provides a little bit of a dynamic offensive player with his his uh, almost elasticity is the way he kind of plays. He's He's got so much bounce. And he's he hasn't taken a lot of three-pointers, but he has hit over 40% on the year so far. So I want to see him continue to evolve and become a guy that I don't want to call him glue because I feel like that's – I feel like his ceiling is higher than that. I think he can be a dynamic player that can give other teams some challenges that can help take attention away from Owe or Yuzan or McCollum. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. harder to game plan for this team and that that way they can get stronger as the year goes on. 
Well, Adam, I think that this is the first time realistically since Porter Moser's been here that he's got more than just one guy on his basketball team that can beat you, that can you know be mm-hmm. the guy that can be the difference maker on any given night, especially in the Big 12, and we'll see how that goes. But you know, th- this is a basketball team that, that's got the depth, that has the talent across all five, five positions that you don't have to rely on Javion McCollum you know, to his performance on any given night that makes or breaks you that, you know, that's, that's the difference between you winning or losing. Now it definitely goes a long way in helping you, but this is a deep basketball team. That's getting, you know, good quality uh, performances from guys up and down the roster. You talk about Sam Godwin was kind of the unsung hero. He was fantastic in the closing stretch against Iowa state, ultimately propelling the Sooners to a win to kick off big 12 play. But you've got JV on McCullen, you've got Jalen Moore, you've got to take a away. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it's, I guess the biggest word that I have to describe this basketball team that we left off, Adam, is it almost kind of feels like they're scrappy. They they've got the ability. They can they can figure out a way. You know they they can they can get down on the floor. You know they scramble for loose balls. They win the 50-50 balls. They're not afraid to make those. You know the the plays that don't show up in the stat sheet. This team is making those this year. Whereas you know we haven't really seen that from each of the last couple of seasons. So we'll see how that translates into the Big Twelve. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, you know, kind of tamper my expectations a little bit because we've seen this from Oklahoma basketball before over the years where they have a good, somewhat successful, maybe not a 13 and 1 type start that Oklahoma has so far this year, but once they turn the corner, they flip the page and they get into Big 12 play, then they really kind of start going downhill a little bit. But for this basketball team going forward, hold serve at home, figure out a way to win those games against the, you know, against some of those teams that you're supposed to beat. Find a way to beat them in their building, and then maybe you try to pick off a Kansas or a BYU or maybe even a Houston. Um, you know, Find out a way to win one or two of those games that you're not supposed to win because that's only going to strengthen your resume and that's only going to go further. And you know, basically, you trying to get the highest possible seed uh, when it comes time to March Madness. Joe Lunardi has the Sooners as a number four seed in the same bracket as the number one overall seed, Purdue. So you would like to see OU potentially improve that so they don't have to play a Boilermakers in a Sweet 16 scenario. Of course, you got to win your first two games to get there. But I do think that I like the word scrappy in describing this team. But also at the same time, I think that they've shown some flashes in moments and in certain games of being even better than that. Um, I, I, you know, you've seen them and there was moments in the Iowa state game. I think back to the Iowa game, uh, as well, where, oh, you just kind of held, you know, what is a, a power conference team kind of at arm's distance and in a little bit of a dominant fashion. So if they mm-hmm. can develop some of that consistency and say, Hey, like K state, when, when we go and play in Bramlage in the octagon up there, you're not going to be able to game game plan around JV McCollum because we've got Miles mm-hmm. Huzan or Otega Owe. And we kind of saw a little bit of that in the Lloyd Noble center this past Saturday, because Owe was in foul trouble. I thought Yuzan stepped up nicely. I thought McCollum uh, was his regular self. So I thought you saw some different guys step up there, but it's about finding that consistency, especially on a team that we do have some question marks around what are they going to be like in late February and March? Because there's, I don't think there's a single guy on this team that has played in a uh, March Madness game. So the experience mm-hmm. just really isn't there. It doesn't mean they can't you still go a long way and, and make a big mark, but um, it's it's something that's a little bit of an unknown still. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't think that any when you start the year off 13 and 1, I don't want to all of a sudden, you know, move the goalposts. Let's reset, you know, expectations for Oklahoma. But we said it, Adam, going into this season that it was basically your expectation was, and there's no excuse for it. Find out a way to make the NCAA tournament. This isn't something that Porter Moser has been able to do with this basketball program each of the first couple of seasons that he's been in Norman. He's got the he's got the roster. He's got the talent to be able to do so. You've been able to build up a pretty damn good resume over the course of non-conference play. You're already one and zero in Big Twelve. Uh, let's figure out a way to capitalize on this positive start. Let's put together a nice run to start off Big Twelve play, um, and let's essentially get ourselves into a position where we lock up a spot in the big 12 champion or in the uh, March Madness tournament. And we're not spending, you know, the last two weeks of the season looking at the first in, you know, last four out trying to figure out a way, okay, big 12 scenarios. How does Oklahoma strengthen their resume to where they can sneak into the tournament? No, Oklahoma's done everything that they've been expected to do. Let's continue this positive momentum going on the road this season or uh, going on the road this week in Lawrence, in Fort Worth, Let's figure out a way to win a couple of basketball games. As it stands today, we are about one month out from Patty and the girls taking the field there for uh, for softball. Um, I always want to say kicking off. There I go again, but uh, they don't kick off in softball. So we will have a preview show for softball. We will have uh, a preview show for baseball as uh, they hit the diamond as well. Um, both teams went to the postseason. Obviously, the, the women's team won the World Series. Mm -hmm. And baseball, I thought, had a, a really strong outing after making it to Omaha and and not having a lot of the same pieces that were on that team that made that run, uh, but still finding a way uh, to get into the postseason for college baseball. So I think there's a lot to be excited about for both teams, obviously, and we'll have some uh, more discussion coming on that in the coming weeks here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got Patty Gasso's team going for, you know, a program record fourth straight national championship. This team is just simply on a, in a league of its own right now with what they're doing out there on the diamond. And, you know, Adam, the spring sports, once you got done with base, once you got done with basketball, softball was always the team that kind of took the cake. They took the spotlight away from baseball. And, you know, with what um, with what Skip Johnson, this baseball staff has done each of the last couple of seasons, the spotlight is back on. Eldale Mitchell Park. I know a lot of fees in, uh, a lot of fans. You know, I know that we're fired up about what's going to be going on. You know, both at the newly, uh, the brand new softball stadium, but also uh, Eldale Mitchell Park. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch these two diamond sports uh, teams go at it uh, this season, their last season before we join the SEC. Adam, there's a couple of comments that that we've seen here, both on Twitter um, and uh, in the YouTube comments. People are asking about our thoughts on Ted Roof and the Zach Alley hire. Um, we're going to save a lot of our comments and analysis for the Zach Alley hire once it actually becomes official and it's announced by the university. Hopefully we're, we're uh, discussing that next week, but Adam, just any quick thoughts on Ted roof. We can discuss that. That is official. Um, Ted roof, no longer defensive coordinator in Norman, um, Brent's choosing to go a different direction. I think it's one thing that just like Dylan Gabriel leaving to go to Oregon, that will be completely misinterpreted by people outside of the OU fan base because it's not necessarily a firing it in the sense of like, you know, when he came to Norman two years ago, this was kind of a part of the plan. Same thing with Dylan Gabriel. Like we kind of knew that there was going to be a time like there, there was a, is a temporary bandaid solution in a sense to get things off the ground. And Same now thing with that, that turnip seat as well. I don't know if I would agree with you completely on that one. I think change, things change with NIL in a different direction there. So it just didn't make sense. But sure. I, I view it more of the sense of like, hey, like 
we have our footing now. Like we were in a bad place after Lincoln Riley left because of the way he constructed the roster, the way he took so many players with him. The just in the general sense of um, not necessarily anything bad he did, but in the sense that anytime a coach leaves the program nowadays, total you know roster overhaul. And you, if you miss on the portal players, then you're kind of in a bad spot. So I kind of look at this as like, hey, this was the Band-Aid solution. Now that we're on our feet, we're moving forward into the new era of of hopefully a lot of prosperity with OU football. And we're doing that with a five-star quarterback and basically a young mini Brent Venables in a sense that a guy that really understands this defense, understands what Brent's vision is and can go execute that and then be creative on top of that, uh, of being a young bright mind in the defensive defensive space, potentially coming in there. So yeah, I, I'm excited about it. Yeah. I know that the public opinion, you know, probably for each of the last two seasons thought that Oklahoma wasn't truly maximizing the, the defensive coordinator position, you know, ultimately a lot especially of us, from you know, recruiting side. ourselves, especially we were questioning the hire when it was made, you know, why would, would Brent Venables arguably, you know, the, the best defensive mind in college football, why would you bring in Ted roof to, to come in and, and run the, and run the show on defense, which again, we've seen how it's played out over the last 24 months. Brent was the one in charge of the defense, but you still got to give credit where credit's due. And I think a lot of praise and, you know, applause does need to be thrown in the direction of Ted Roof because he's a guy that came in, um, assisted in getting Oklahoma back up off of the mat in terms of their play on defense, you know, setting Oklahoma on that positive trajectory that, that you know, the Sooners find themselves on right now. Um, so you got to give you got to give Ted a lot of uh, a lot of credit. But at the same time, too, in the back of your mind, you're always asking yourself, are we getting the most out of what we currently have in that role? And I don't think that that's that that's something that you know Oklahoma can you know realistically sit here and say that they were maximizing that position. Whether you want to talk recruiting trail, whether you want to talk about you know the the ability to develop guys, I think that the the best part for me, and we'll touch on Zach Alley a little bit more when it's made official. But the funny part about that potential hire, Adam, is if you would t- if you told me if you blindfolded me and you just told me to listen to a clip of Zach Alley, whether it's in the interview room, whether it's on the field coaching his guys, if you would have just told me that this is a 29-year-old coach out there on the practice field, I would have told you just by the way that this guy talks, the way his mannerisms, the way he acts and how he speaks, I would have thought that that was a 29-year-old Brent Venables that was you know up in Manhattan, Kansas, or brand new as the defensive coordinator in Oklahoma. So there's a lot to be excited about with, with the Zach Alley hire. We'll touch on it more next week. Hopefully it becomes official. But I think that this is a position on the coaching staff that that Oklahoma saw a need for an upgrade, saw a need for a uh, you know a change in direction, uh, and I think that a brand new face, especially a younger, more energetic uh, face, I think that that's going to pay dividends uh, for Oklahoma as we go into the SEC. Oh, you didn't have to recruit too many linebackers this season because there was so much depth already in the room. But I think, yeah, I think we'll see that on the recruiting trail. That energy. Um, I think could, he would be a difference maker for some of those elite guys that we really need in that room, uh, after guys like Danny Stutzman go pro. So, yeah. And I know he's at Jacksonville state, but I mean, it's obviously, there's going to be a huge learning curve being, you know, recruiting guys to, to Oklahoma as opposed to Jacksonville state, you're not recruiting the same caliber of athlete, but the, the best thing about it for me, Adam is look what part of the country he's been recruiting in over the past few seasons. That's sec territory through and through. That's just another guy that's got the relationships, that's got the track record in that part of the country. Um, and I think it's going to be a good win for Oklahoma. Absolutely. 
that's going to do it for us this evening here at the main line. We appreciate everyone who has listened uh, along on the podcast. If you're listening later, and especially those of you who uh, joined us on the uh, live show on YouTube and on Twitter. So we appreciate everyone and we will see you next week for the next episode of the main line.